0: You fix work by fixing yourself. People really get sick and tired of me saying that. I don't care. I'm going to say it until I die. You fix work by fixing yourself. When you look at your employer for the answer, you're never going to be satisfied. When you look for your HR lady to swoop in and solve a problem, even if she nails it, it's never going to feel good because most of the problems we have at work reflect the problems we have in our own personal lives. I've never dealt with someone who was chronically late at work that didn't have something going on in their personal life that was driving some of those attendance issues. For me to just sit there and blather on about an attendance policy was a failed way to solve that problem. We had to drive in deeper. And it's not just attendance, it's attention, it's attitude, it's engagement. All of this doesn't start at work, it starts at home. That's what I believe. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority,
1: expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me as I am coming in hot into 2021 with episode number 53 of the Impact Makers Podcast. Seriously. I'm ready to emerge from my 2020 coronavirus-induced cocoon and to make great things happen in my world and for you in this shiny and promising new year. And I can think of no better way to kick off the year than with my BFF, Laurie Rudiman. Laurie was the last guest of the year on this podcast in 2019 for one of our infamous BFF conversations, and look what that caused, y'all. 2020 didn't work out so well, now did it? So we decided to switch things up and instead kick off the new year together here on the podcast rather than closing out the previous one. Just remember, if 2021 works out better for all of us, you're welcome. Actually, the real reason that Laurie is back as a guest on the podcast is that her first traditionally published book, which is called Betting on You, will be released next week on January 12th. And that is truly a big deal. If you're a longtime listener, you know that Laurie was the first guest on this podcast back in episode two. In that episode, I shared a little bit about how I originally found her online through one of her early blogs, which was called "Team Building is for Suckers. She wrote every day about work, life, and cats, among other things. And even though I didn't always agree with her or share some of her views, her writing style was totally engaging and she always had an informed point of view that made me think. Over the last 15-plus years, she's evolved online from the anonymous voice behind Team Building is for Suckers to being the pixie of the apocalypse who penned the wildly popular Punk Rock HR blog, and then the successful blogger who blew it all up to rebrand and become the cynical girl for a while. A few years ago, she took all of her great writing and talent over to her own online domain, which is aptly named laurierudeman.com. And she also resurrected Punk Rock HR as the name of her popular weekly podcast. And while she's become my best friend over the last 11 years, I am also her biggest fan. She's simply one of the best writers out there and can always be counted on to share frank, informed, and sometimes contrary to popular opinion, career and life advice, which is what is needed in the world when many of the so-called career experts sound very much the same. It's always been a personal dream of Laurie's to write a book and to have it traditionally published, and she's finally made that dream come true. Her book, Betting on You, How to Put Yourself First, and Finally Take Control of Your Career, will be published and released by Henry Holt and Company on January 12, 2020. So, of course, we needed to talk about this moment in time and what it took to accomplish this major life goal. Of course, it hasn't always been easy, but I'm so glad that Laurie pushed through the challenges, did the hard work, and has reached the point where the book will go from dream to reality next week. Our conversation today is fun, full of laughter, and completely unedited. You'll hear me, Laurie's best friend and her biggest fan, get the title of her book wrong several times. (laughs) And I'll even make some somewhat intelligent excuses for that, which she, of course, did not accept. (laughs) You'll also hear what happens when Laurie gets a delivery from FedEx in the middle of a podcast interview, because that's what happens when you're assumed to be a famous bestselling author. And Laurie will share a couple of the career and life stories that are included in the book. She'll also unpack the framework that she proposes for fixing work by fixing yourself, which includes focusing on self-leadership, well-being, continuous learning, and risk-taking. I am so proud of my friend, and I'm really proud of this book. I've read an advanced copy, have pre-ordered a hardback version, and I'll soon purchase an audiobook. I made it easy for you to get copies, too just go to the show notes and click on one of the many links. You'll find several ways to purchase books there, as well as ways to connect with Laurie and continue to follow her journey as well as to learn from her in the future. I hope that you'll enjoy my conversation with future best-selling author Laurie Rudeman today. Welcome back, Laurie Rudeman, to the Impact Makers podcast. You have the dubious honor thus far of being The most repeated guest, which I think this is, if I am correct, your fourth or fifth time on the Impact Makers podcast. Is that correct? Is it dubious? Is that the right word you want to use? I think it's pretty terrific. Yeah, it's an honor. As I said, it's an honor.
0: It's an honor and a privilege.
1: And each and every time you come back, there are new insights shared and sometimes just a BFF chat. So today we're going to have a combination of all the above. We're going to get some new insights, some scoops of info shared about what's going on with you and probably a little bit of a BFF chat mixed in. Is that okay with you?
0: I love it all. I'm game for it all. Nothing is off limits. Oh, wow. Except I will try not to swear.
1: Oh, shoot. That wouldn't be very authentic of you, would it? <laughs> right. We don't want a hard E for your podcast, though. We just want a light E. <laughs> a soft E. A soft E. Right. Well, you're here for a uh, not dubious, whatever the opposite of that is, reason. My best friend has a book that is being published on. January 12th of 2021. And I'm so excited. How excited are you?
0: Well, I'm excited. I'm scared. I feel like I'm going to puke. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of talking about myself and yet I could do it all day. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just a mess. I'm a mess, Jennifer. But can you believe we're here? We are here almost at the finish line, or is it the start line? I don't even know where we are.
1: I think it's both. It's both. It's Mm -hmm. the ending of one process and the beginning of another. So I know I've been along for the ride, but it seems like it's been going on forever. But for people who haven't had a best friend who's published traditionally published a book with a major publishing house, take us back to kind of when it started like what what year what month was it when you actually started the proposal process and and I want people to understand how much work goes into this process.
0: Mm, it's a ton of work, I'm not going to lie. It's good work. It's not working in a coal mine or, you know, some sweatshop, but back in the summer of 2018, I really challenged myself to do something different with my life and to write a traditionally published book. And so I asked my friend, Nick Morgan, to give me some advice. And he said, well, I'll help you put together the book proposal for a fee, and I will help you find an agent for a fee. And from there, you're on your own, kiddo. But, you know, he's a good mentor. He didn't leave me on my own. So we met with a bunch of agents in October of 2018, and I signed on with my agent, Esmond Harmsworth. And we were off to the races. I worked on my book proposal again for the millionth time from November of 2018 through the springtime of 2019. And that's when the book went to auction in New York City. We met with a bunch of traditional publishing houses, all big five of them. And I got my contract in May of 2019 and delivered the final manuscript February 15th,
1: 2020 right before the COVID. (laughs) Right before the COVID. Well, I want to kind of highlight several steps in that process. So the book proposal itself, which is a daunting task. When I read Mm. it, I was like, I would love to write a book someday, but I don't know if I want to traditionally publish or not for a lot of reasons. We'll see. I'm sure a lot of those reasons are, is that I I already think it might not be good enough, so we can go to therapy and discuss that. Um, we shall,
0: we <laughs> shall indeed. If that, Listen, Jennifer, if I can do it, anybody can do it. That's the lesson. If That's I can true. get a, yes, if I can get a book out in the world that exists today, seriously, it's not as daunting as people think. I mean, yes, I worked hard and I leaned in heavily into my knowledge, skills, and abilities, but who am I? I'm like but it is daunting,
1: else. just the proposal process in and of itself. Sure. I mean, sure. you have to write a sample chapter. You have to talk about how you're going to market it. You have to lay out all your plans for who you're going to get in front of. I mean, tell us what the proposal process was like. Because you, as you Lady. mentioned, it was three months long, three months.
0: I didn't just write one chapter, I wrote two because I don't do anything small, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) and I think we threw out one of the chapters that I actually submitted in my book proposal. I mean, I went whole hog. I wrote two chapters. I did write a synopsis. I did a competitive landscape of other self-help books, business books, and HR books. I did an outline of my social media reach. I mean, it was crazy. This thing was long But it's the single most important tool to getting what you want, which is a contract that gives you power to write the book that you want on your terms. And so I knew I had to show up 110% in this book proposal, which is why it took so long. I had one version when I met Esmond, and then I had another version that we actually took to the marketplace that was so much more improved because I had an agent who for money you know he takes a piece of what I earn was giving me his really great advice so yeah I mean it was daunting but anything good and anything worth doing is going to be hard we already know that so I anticipated this was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever done professionally and up until that point I was right the next hardest thing I've ever done is write the dang thing (laughs) and now I'm doing the final hardest thing of my life hopefully which won't be um I'm marketing it. I'm trying to sell it. And I have zero sales skills. (laughs) So. No, that's Oh, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's back up. We're, you know, we're going to go through this in steps. So the, you sold the book at an auction, uh, got a nice advance, all the things that traditionally published authors dream of. And then you had to sit down, as you said, so that happened March of 2000, what? 2019. 2019. And actually write the thing. Yeah. You had to write the thing, and the deadline that you were given to write a 65,000-plus-word book was... At that time, yeah. 85,000-word book mm-hmm. was March to what? When were you supposed to originally turn it in?
0: Well, they don't just give you a far-off deadline because they know that's a recipe for disaster. So we had built-in checkpoints. And so, we didn't really think of this as an 85,000-word project. We thought of, all right, what are the things you're going to do in the next 90 days? Which I love because that's how I work. You take a large, huge, monumental project and you break it down into doable tasks. So, we started to think about the project in terms of chapters and paragraphs instead of just a word count, which made it clearly easier for me to do. Like that's how I love to work. And so the goal was to have the whole thing written, the first draft of everything by the beginning of October, 2019. So that's like really May is when we got going, May to October. So what is that? Six months? Well, six months, right? And I met that deadline. I mean, I'm doing math here. That is clearly not my strong suit, but (laughs) I met my deadline and I'm super proud of that. And then from October, Through February ish was really about revising. And boy, did I revise. I went from 80, I think roughly 86,000 words to I think the finished project is around 55 or 60.
1: Mm -hmm. So I cut. So, how much of that was rewrites or removing? I mean, I just, when I hear those stories from authors, like I submitted 85,000 words and they took 30 out, and you're like, what?
0: Well, I mean, you know, they made the book better. And that's the other thing. I am pretty confident about my skills and abilities, but I'm not an expert in the world of selling books. And so I deferred to other people's expertise and I trusted the process. I mean, these are individuals who do this for a living. They do bestsellers. They make unknown authors really sing. These ideas that you've never heard of are now part of our ecosystem because of editors, because of publishing houses. So what am I going to question that? No mm-hmm. way. I'm going to ask questions and try to do my best, but I'm going to assume good intent when they say, this paragraph that you wrote about Al Gore is really terrible. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Thank you. That's right.
1: <laughs> well, I hope there's the uh, the edited or the edits version that's going to be released. <laughs>
0: Nobody needs to read a thousand words on
1: why Al Gore failed. <laughs>
0: nobody needs. That. I do.
1: I need to know what you have to say about that. Oh, man, so terrible. you turned it in last. A spring of this year, 2020, I turned it in, yes. I've completely like lost track of everything. What, what in is time anymore? Yeah. Yeah. So the next phase of the process, which again, just blows my mind is once you've turned this in, I'm like, well, I would like it published next week, but then there's a lot of work. I mean, you've been, this has been a full-time job this year for you. Yeah, yeah You know, many. the edits, the rewrites, the, the cover design, the marketing plan, the book reviews in advance. I mean, what did you know before you started this process, all of the little pieces that would have to happen in this year before it actually goes out into the world?
0: You know, I heard it, but I'm not sure I knew it. Like people told me this is going to be a process that involves X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Got it. I had no clue. And, you know, I thought my final draft would be my final draft. No, no way, because we find typos, we find grammatical inconsistencies. And then I'm like, wait a second, that's not what I want to say. And also, by the way, COVID happened and the emergence of Black Lives Matter. And while I had written about racial inequality at work in the book, I'm like, oh, wait, I want to stick some more stuff in there and be topical. So I did a little bit of that, but I didn't want to seem opportunistic or weird. And so it was just a really interesting relationship I had with my final draft. And then you're right. Then there's marketing and sales. And by the way, they wanted me to record the audiobook, which I was so gung-ho to do, but I don't know how to record an audiobook. So I had to learn a bunch of new skills for that. And it was definitely a lot. And let's not talk about the cover or maybe let's talk about it because that brought me to tears on my kitchen floor. And my husband handed me a bottle of tequila. I mean, it was like... It was so sad. I cried so hard. He broke it the seal
1: on the liquor cabinet for it.
0: <laughs> trying not to drink, but he's like, here, you need this. You need it. Oh, I sobbed my guts out. But yet I got a book cover that is pretty, pretty okay. It's pretty terrific. It's fine. It'll do. It'll work. I get excited about it sometimes and other times I'm like, that's whatever. But anyway, yes. I mean, it was definitely a roller coaster. And Jennifer, I think you're right. It's a full-time job. And not only that, marketing and PR comes with writing a professional book, like a traditional book, but not in the way you want. So I've had to go out and buy some of those services. So I'm working a job to pay for a book. I don't know. It's just my life right now.
1: So I could talk all day about the process. And again, I've been had a little bit of a a second row seat, sitting behind Ken, who's tall, um, your husband. (laughs) So so I haven't always been able to see, Mm -hmm. I haven't always seen the up-close version, but I do want to talk about the book, the idea, the original idea, I believe, was fixing work by fixing yourself. Is that still the core idea of the book? Heck yeah, lady. I'm going to hire
0: you for PR. I've been paying attention. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You fix work by fixing yourself. People really get sick and tired of me saying that. I don't care. I'm going to say it until I die. You fix work by fixing yourself. When you look at your employer for the answer, you're never going to be satisfied. When you look for your HR lady to swoop in and solve a problem, even if she nails it, it's never going to feel good because most of the problems we have at work reflect the problems we have in our own personal lives. I've Never dealt with someone who was chronically late at work that didn't have something going on in their personal life that was driving some of those attendance issues. For me to just sit there and blather on about an attendance policy was a failed way to solve that problem. We had to drive in deeper. And it's not just attendance. It's attention. It's attitude. It's engagement. All of this doesn't start at work. It starts at home. That's what I believe.
1: So you have a lifetime of experiences behind you, your own lived experiences. When did this kind of crystallize into, I mean, you've wanted to write a book for a while. That's been a goal of yours for a while. When did this idea kind of crystallize for you where you said that's what this book should be about?
0: Well, I mean, if I only had one moment, that would be great because it would be such a pretty story. (laughs) I think... What I've seen in my life is that when I coach people and when I do some consulting work, there are these major themes that come up around self-leadership, well-being, continuous learning, and risk-taking. I started to see these patterns, these four issues, these buckets emerge. And all of my work was in one of those four buckets. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is the framework for my stories, for the stories of people around me, and for the way I can explain fixing work.
1: Interesting. And so what is the goal? So someone buys this book, it's called Betting on You, how to, how to, oh, Oh, I don't. We're going to edit that out, Danny. How to fix work (laughs) by fixing yourself or something like that. Hold on.
0: (laughs) Just call it betting on you. A- ask the question again. Daniel, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait
1: a minute. Why do we have to edit that out? People should hear these conversations between friends. <laughs> you got to nail it. I have looked at that book cover. I have looked at that book cover so many times. I know it's take charge of your career by finally, which is in parentheses, doing something. Right. This is all terrible.
0: (laughs) I don't mind. (laughs) I mean, who cares? The whole, when, so you were asking me what I don't even remember
1: now. So I buy this book. I see it on the shelf in a major bookstore or in an airport bookstore, and I'm walking by and I see betting on you something finally. And I go, I'm going to pick up that book. What is it that I am going to get out Mm. of that book? What is, what is the, the transformation that's going to happen for me, yeah. And I we're not editing I, any of that out. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: <laughs> Life oh, is messy. My, <laughs> right? And why am I taking myself so seriously? Who cares? <laughs> Do you know how many people are going to mess up that book title? I mean, I'm all right with that. I. But the question you're asking is like, what is the consumer going to get? Like this package that they buy. What are they going to learn? And. Boy, that is not a punk rock question and I'm not going to give you a punk rock or I'm going to give you a punk rock answer because if only I could serve this stuff up in three bullet points, boy, would I be Tony Rob? I would be Mel Robbins. I would be a Robbins. It would be great. It would be fantastic. <laughs> I think the lesson of the book that all of this is incredibly messy and if someone could have fixed it already, they would have done it. And so the onus is on you to look at your own life, to look at your own journey, using this framework that I've given you. And even if you can fix work 10%, you're gonna have a wonderful, monumental impact on your life. It's like compound interest. You do a couple little things and that starts to grow and it starts to snowball in your life. So I'm not promising that anybody is gonna get the two by two quadrant to fix work and fix themselves because that is a load of crap. But what they're gonna get is a fresh take on the world of work, and also life. That's what I promise. Good stories,
1: well told. Well, let's give some people some scoop here. Tell me more about (laughs) this. Tell me more about this two-by-two quadrant that I need to apply to my life.
0: No way, man. I'll just tell you some (laughs) stories. (laughs) Jennifer, have you ever heard me say two-by-two quadrant? I just want to die. (laughs) It sounded pretty consultant-y.
1: which is not what I think of when I think of your Uh, language. (laughs)
0: No, no. I did once have a job though.
1: (laughs) In In my defense, you know, not, this is not about anybody but you, but in my defense, let's say one of the probably most popular business books of all time, Good to Great by Jim Collins, It's right on the shelf behind me. Could you tell me the subtitle of Good to Great?
0: No way. I don't even okay. know that it has a subtitle. Okay.
1: Who cares? All right. So betting on you. <laughs> betting on you. I know. The subtitle. Right. I love I... it. Who cares?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, there's no need to defend yourself. I think what's really funny is that I was so sensitive about it. I'm like, what? you didn't nail it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why, this Why is would a I test. expect that of anybody,
1: especially you? I love you. Just, I know the finally is in parentheses. That's all I know. I'm <laughs> sure it is. That's important. <laughs> So you mentioned stories. Are there any stories from the book that you could share with us that will whet our appetites to not only pre-order the book, if we haven't already, if it's not, well, you're going to be listening to this on the day, the week before it's published, actually. So you can pre-order the book, make sure that it is in your hot little hands on January 12th, 2021. Uh, But what's a story that makes me hit that buy now button now?
0: Well... Everybody knows that I used to work in human resources, right? I mean, that's like everybody, everybody knows that's my thing. And when people ask me why I left, I give them enough detail to make them think, wow, that's interesting, but not enough to be vulnerable. Like I'm not real good about talking about myself. And um, I'm certainly not good at talking about my mistakes, honestly. I don't know. Maybe I'm human. Right. Jennifer, could it be that I'm human? I don't know. But it's becoming clear. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me so nervous to talk about who I am at my core. And that's how I know that I need to do it. That's how I know that I need to fix myself. So, all right. I used to work at Pfizer. That's my story. That's what I tell people. That's very vulnerable of
1: you to share.
0: (laughs) The company was terrible, but that's not the truth. The truth is that I took a job knowing that it wasn't the right job for me. And I took it for a lot of reasons. I had student loan debt. You know, my husband was working and eventually he got laid off and I kept that job at Pfizer for health insurance. And I told myself I was stuck, but I wasn't stuck. I worked with a lot of terrific people who were lighting the world on fire. And I thought, I want to be like them. I want to do these really great things. I just don't know how. So one night I'm flying across America to go lay people off, which is what I did at Pfizer for a long period of time. That was my full-time job, firing people. and. I may or may not have missed a flight because I was too lazy to catch the connecting flight. Like I didn't run back then for anything. So I'm stuck at the airport and uh, for dinner, I'm eating Starburst and drinking Pepsi and flipping through an Us Weekly magazine because I'm classy. I'm one of those classy
1: HR ladies. Living the dream, truly. Uh huh,
0: For sure, for sure. Like I'll catch the next flight to Fresno, whatever. I'm on it. And I read an article that says, allegedly, Courtney Love had weight loss surgery, had a lap band. Allegedly. And you're, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Now your listeners may be like, who's Courtney Love? Do you know Courtney Love?
1: Of course. The lead the... singer of Hull, married to Kurt Cobain, did some acting, has did lost some... a little relevance in life. <laughs> did some acting. That's generous. <laughs> She did, I think. She was in a bathtub in some movie. I remember
0: that. <laughs> she was in an episode of Empire. So that's actually true on okay. Fox, that old TV show. Yeah, yeah. So she's done some acting. That's fair. Okay. So I like her because she's gritty and she's punk rock. And I read this article and I'm like, how do celebrities have this amazing life where they can just do whatever they want and get whatever they want in this world? It was unbelievable to me. And not only celebrities, but companies. You know, Pfizer always put itself first. Whatever they want to do in this world, they created a business structure and a balance sheet so they could tackle it. Even if it meant laying people off and making really hard decisions, Pfizer was in the business of being in business. And I read this article and I thought about my employer and I thought, oh my God, I need to do things differently. So I got on that connecting flight. And remember, these are the days before Wi-Fi at the airport, right? Before an iPhone. So I was hugging around this like 15-pound Lenovo laptop with the nubby red ball that was always dirty. Did you have one of those?
1: I did. I did.
0: Oh, my God. So nasty. Probably all kinds of pre-COVID germs on that nubby red ball.
1: <laughs> you, were, you were the the start of it back then with your little oh Lenovo laptop. <laughs> oh, my God. It was disgusting. So I get to,
0: you know, the, the next airport and I disembark off that plane and I get in my rental car and I drive to the, air, the airport hotel and I plug into the internet through a modem. Oh Through no. the VPN, I got a dial-up, and then I get to like Yahoo or Google, and I type in "What's a lap band," and I read all about it. It's like a way to restrict the food in your system, and allegedly you lose a lot of weight. I'm like, "Oh, this sounds great," you know. And I decided there and then that the way that I was going to start my journey to like really reclaiming my body and my life was to go get weight loss surgery. Now, the story is problematic because I was not morbidly obese. I mean, I was chunky. And also I got a husband who didn't like the idea of me flying down to Tijuana, Mexico, like a celebrity to go get a lap band. And so in chapter one, I really talk about that decision that some people think is crazy, but turned out to be really life affirming and important for me. And I talk about how you can go find your Tijuana, maybe before you have to go do something crazy like I did. So that's the way the book opens. And I'll tell you, It was really nerve wracking to write because up until this point in my life, I had never really told anybody that I had weight loss surgery, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because I don't go around talking about my body. That's
1: weird. (laughs) You know, I haven't read all the career books in the world or even all the business books in the world, but I'm pretty sure the category of books that were career books that were inspired by Courtney Love... (laughs) Tijuana, Mexico, and <laughs> lap band surgery. <laughs> that's you're probably singular in that category. Is that I that probably so. correct? <laughs> I,
0: I think that's probably right. I mean, I you know I talk about all kinds of really crazy esoteric topics in the world of human resources, like professional detachment and continuous learning and executive leadership. But I really try to use human phrases. In fact, when I was writing this book, anytime I got a little too businessy or HRE. My editor would say, please speak English. Please tell your story. Please tell your truth. And so I tried to do that. I tried to represent the world that I saw at Pfizer and at other employers and tell stories that are truly told, but to obscure, you know, names and dates and faces and all of that. But really focus on the story and not on the heavy-handed business lesson that is, I don't know, it works for people like Jim Collins but it didn't work for me. So that's, that's the framework of the book.
1: Speaking of people that are in the book, I've been told, again, I have not read the book yet because I buy books that my friends mm-hmm. write. Yeah. So I have pre-ordered and will be waiting on my copy. But I've been told that I might've made an appearance in the book. Has my name been changed to protect the innocent? <laughs>
0: No, but I didn't get you to sign a release, so please what? don't sue me.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I am. I am. <laughs> well, you're in the book. Is, I'm never going to write a book and get an advance from a major publisher, so this is my chance <laughs> to get in Great. on that money.
0: <laughs> well, you're in the book because you give wise advice, and I have a chapter on getting fired and recovering from it. Not personally, but just the idea of quitting.
1: Wait, I give wise advice and I'm all that. And I'm in the chapter on getting fired.
0: (laughs) Well, because you tell people who get fired what?
1: And my appearance in the book and the wise, wise advice that everyone gets fired at least once. How did you work that into the story about betting on you? Well, are Are you encouraging everyone to go get fired? (laughs) Yes, that's what I'm doing.
0: And give me your $25.99 for the book. We're done. That's it. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, quitting is such a sticky, difficult, shameful topic. And some people quit and feel regret. Some people get fired and feel regret. Some people get fired and never learn a lesson. So we talk about all of these things. It's really a chapter about departing your organization. But I tell the story that when I was young, like 15 or 16, I was hired as a busboy even though I'm not a boy. So already not qualified. (laughs) And it was at a German restaurant in Chicago. And it was my first night. I'd never worked in a restaurant before. And the owner told me to get the bottles of ketchup and bring them back to the back of the room. So I went around from booth to booth and collected all 37 bottles of ketchup. And I put them on a tray. And I weighed about 89 pounds at the time because I was just a wee lass. (laughs) And I picked the tray up and knocked the tray over, and the glasses went flying and shattered, and it looked like a scene from a horror film. There was ketchup in my hair. There was ketchup on the ceiling. There, were, there was ketchup on customers. There was ketchup everywhere. And the owner of the restaurant said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen anybody do. Get the hell out of here. And I was paralyzed. I was like stuck In the molasses of ketchup. I couldn't move. It was crazy. (laughs) So I ran into the bathroom, sobbing, crying. And I'm like, oh, he's going to come in here and kick me out. And he didn't. He let me clean up. And as I left, one of the waiters came out and said, kid, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen anybody do in my life. Here's your share of the tips for the night. And he handed me a couple hundred bucks. I was like, oh, snap. I got fired and I got money in my hands. And I will tell you this, I've never had a restaurant job since. So see, everybody good does get fired once. And I learned from my mistakes. I don't know, Jennifer, probably not the lesson <laughs> you're trying to impart, but that's my lesson.
1: Yeah, my story about learning was a little bit, not as not as messy, but personally messy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got fired the old-fashioned way. I got fired the old-fashioned way, but then I... I learned a lot from it and it made me a better better uh, leader, better human. So uh, the ketchup it. bottles made you a better leader, better human as well. I, I've <laughs> well, seen
0: we, that. <laughs> we talk about we. I don't know who we is. I got my
1: semi-pockets. The I royal way. The royal right. way.
0: <laughs> I talk about the lessons of getting fired in the book. It was all me. I did it. But I really think your advice is so prescient. Everybody good does get fired at least once. I mean, Jennifer, think about all the mavericks in the world, all the people with big ideas, all the people who accomplish anything. They don't fit in. And there's mm-hmm. at least one employer who is like, "We don't have time for your garbage. You're either on board or you're not." And when you know that, I think it brings great comfort to know that you're a in a community of other like-minded, successful people, but also to know that good things are in store today is not tomorrow. You can get fired and it can have nothing to do with you as a human being because your worth is not your work. You can get fired and you can still live another day and contribute at another organization. And that's the lesson you brought into my life. And I wanted to share that with people. So thank you for letting me do that.
1: Well, you know, since I know both of us are sports topical. <laughs> oh, for sure. Come on now. Let's
0: talk. Let's talk. Michael Jordan.
1: Who else I was is be really famous right you now? Know, you're reading my mind. Had the Michael Jordan. When I say everybody good gets fired, it's because, you know, Michael Jordan did miss some shots. He did, mm-hmm. you know, throw the ball out of bounds by accident a couple of times because he's out there playing. So if yeah, you're out right. there playing, you're going to make some mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are going to be worthy of you getting fired. Or you're going to fail because you tried something new. So while I don't encourage people to aspire to get fired, <laughs> what I encourage people in the conversation that we're, that actually came up between you and I is let's not look down on somebody because they got fired. Because Absolutely. a lot of times the people who have gotten fired once, maybe twice, it's because they they were out there playing.
0: Yeah, well
1: said. They were throwing up shots, you know. (laughs) Sports (laughs) topical reference. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Is that (laughs) that the sports reference? Yes. Checking the box on the box. Oh, my goodness.
0: (laughs) You know, I'm not really concerned about what HR departments think or what bosses think. I want us to be kinder to ourselves. I mean, that's really the point of the book. And so if you've been fired, know that you're in really great company. But beyond that, know that it's not the defining moment of your life or it doesn't have to be the defining moment of your life. In that chapter, I also teach people how to ask for severance as if they're executives so that if they're about to get fired, they can proactively leave with a little money in their pocket. Or if they have a job, don't just walk out the door. Think like a leader and ask for some money. Why? Because you put yourself first. Leaders do it, companies do it, finally do it as well. That's right. (laughs) One day we're gonna tattoo that subtitle of that book on your arms that so you just have. it.
1: Well, I mean, I know people can't see me now, and you can't see me because I don't have my camera, but I am wearing my punk rock, still punk rock shirt and I love my it. punk rock HR hoodie. That's my uniform here at work. So we need to get you um, some
0: punk rock socks.
1: Oh my god. you out. I yeah. need to go to the store. We'll link up to that. We're sold out. No, go. no, Wait, we're sold out. What? And and these, there will not be a second edition? What? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got all kinds of time for this, Jennifer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of time, it is COVID time still. Normally... And what, you know, I had hoped for you so that I could potentially tag along on some of the worldwide book tour was that you would be on stages in front of audiences doing fireside chats with Michelle Obama uh, Mm. and Oprah and all the people that I, you know, admire. And that may still happen at some point in the future, but probably on January 12th, you're going to be in your home office Doing something to promote the book, so I hope not. How I hope that day? How I'm will you be <laughs> eating ice cream? Come on now. <laughs> how will you be getting the word out over these <sighs> next few weeks and months about the book, so that people on the far, far, far corners of the earth that have not yet heard about Laurie Rudiman or Punk Rock HR or The Cynical Girl or Betting on You yet will know that this is a book that they need to buy.
0: Well, um, first of all, I'm going to give myself some grace throughout this process because I am really upset that I can't do a book tour. Like That was part of my marketing strategy. That's how I sold the book to Macmillan and Henry Holt. I told them these were all the amazing things I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do these corporate events. I'm going to sit with Oprah and have some tea. I mean, all of it. And I can't do any of it. The other interesting thing that's developed is that virtual appearances are fine. But every time you do a virtual appearance, you degrade the value of your appearance in the marketplace. So if I'm showing up for a book tour with one bookstore and I do 15 other bookstores, why would someone sign up for that one bookstore. Like it's just too much. The market is flooded. The other thing is everybody's on Zoom and FaceTime and, you know, Teams all day long. People are tired. Nobody wants to look at a screen. The final thing is I can't throw a party, which is what I really wanted to do because the book comes out right around my birthday. And I've never as an adult thrown myself a birthday party because that's weird. But I thought, all right, this year I'm going to do a party and I'm going to have all my friends come in. And I wanted to do something really nice for my community. I can't do any of it and I could just, I like want to cry talking about it. So I hired someone in the world of PR to help get me in magazines and newspapers and I'm paying for that and it's not insubstantial. I'm working with Henry Holt double time to make sure we get the word out. I will show up and open up a car dealership wearing two masks, like I'll do anything (laughs) as long as I don't have to get on a plane. I'm doing some video, but it's definitely not at the pace and the volume that I wanted to, but I will say this. I respect my reader and my potential reader so much that I don't want to do anything hokey. Someone suggested to me, you should throw yourself a virtual launch party. Like, would I throw myself a baby shower? Would I throw myself a bachelorette party? No, that's tacky. Also, I I would do it for other people, but I wouldn't do it for myself. And also, who wants to show up for 45 minutes on Zoom to celebrate me? That sounds terrible, you know? So I'm not going to do that. But instead, I'm trying to do some free consulting, some free advice to show up to book clubs, The attitude I'm taking is if I can be of service and also talk about my book, I'll do it. But if I can't be of service, I really don't want to do it. So I hope that's the right guiding principle. Maybe I'll get it right. Maybe I'll get it wrong. But again, I'm going to give myself grace and know that, all right, maybe this isn't going to sell 15,000 copies the first week it's out like I hoped. But if it sells five, I'm still touching 5,000 lives, you know? And that's not nothing. That's important. So I'm I'm proud of it.
1: Well, I, I like this approach. And if, you know, that first car dealership that you're opening, I'll hop in the old SUV and hit the road with double masks. Oh, man. <laughs> I want to send some balloons into the environment.
0: <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to wear, but... <laughs> I just, I, you know, I will show up, but I want to show up with some dignity and some integrity and demonstrate my character in all of this. And I don't want to do anything inauthentic. That's the real challenge. But guess what? I probably would have faced those challenges if there weren't COVID. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that COVID's just kind of forcing me to get back in touch with my values a little bit faster and a little bit quicker. So yeah. that's
1: what I'm doing. Well, in a conversation I was having uh, earlier today with another podcast guest, we kind of laughed about, you know, I'm already looking at, you know, it's the end of the year when we're recording this and it's the time when we all sit down and do goals and 2020 was a lot of things for a lot of people, including me. And so I'm already like, well, but 2021 is, oh my gosh. And he's like, yeah, we're all going to be coming in hot (laughs) to 2021. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that's a good visual. It's like, everybody's like January 2nd, we're here. There's a vaccine, you know, some point in the future, we'll be able to touch people and see them again in person. And I'm going to completely redo my whole life and my career is going to be amazing. And here's my 37 goals. (laughs)
0: Yeah. But Jennifer, we all had these dreams at the beginning of COVID too, right? That um, we were going to get abs and lose weight and give up sugar. And I'm like double down on sugar. I don't know about anybody else. And I certainly don't have abs right now. My abs went in the opposite way compared to where they were at the beginning of COVID. So I know that to tell myself that I'm coming in hot into January, 2021 is setting myself up for disappointment and lying to myself. But there probably are two to three things that I can do and nail in January to make it a great January. So that's the way that I'm thinking about this. I'm doing an exercise that I teach in the book really, which is the premortem. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to fail? Write those ways down, look at them and go, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) you know, or try to fix it. It's real important to me that I don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. You and I talk about this all the time. I'm not surviving a pandemic just to live my life like it's 2019. If I don't come out of this a little bit different, a little bit changed, a little happier, a little bit more grounded, then I've I've done COVID wrong. I don't want to do COVID wrong. I don't want to be the woman I was in 2019 because while that woman was better than the woman in 2018 and 2017, it still is not where I want to go in this life. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to be happier. I certainly don't want to live in a world that we were living in in 2019 where everybody was angry with one another and fighting over politics and super divided. I'm ready for a reset, but that reset comes from me nailing two to three things that I can get right.
1: All right, well, I know I'll get this advice personally because I'll ask for it (laughs) one-on-one at some point. But what are, you mentioned three things, what maybe collectively for myself and the people listening to this, would you suggest as we set up ourselves hot for 2021 and beyond that maybe we think about in order to bet on ourselves?
0: Well, the beginning of the new year always prompts people to think about well-being. And we engage in this binary thinking where I'm going to drink 64 ounces of water, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to get it all down. And every year, even lap band or no lap band, I fail at that. I'm human. And my, <laughs> I just say my lap band has not been activated for over a decade now. Like it's wide open. I can eat whatever I want, not eat. And I find myself going, Snap, should I go back to Tijuana and get a second lap band? You know, like that's the way I want to do this. I don't want to be responsible for what I want, what I have to eat and all of that. But I know that a life well lived is a life with some boundaries. And so instead of like having these harsh boundaries on January 1st, I'm going to do what I do every year that's been working going to say, all right, there are things that I shouldn't be doing. I shouldn't be drinking as much. I shouldn't be eating as much sugar. I'm going to try to go back to some of those principles of balance. I'm not going to drink 164 ounces of water every day, but maybe I can drink a little bit more water. There's no world where I'm ever going to get nine hours of sleep, which makes me feel really great. I love sleeping nine hours, but maybe I can get seven, So these are the principles that I will return to again in January because I return to them actually all the time. When I feel terrible, I check in with my well-being and I'm like, am I sleeping? Am I eating right? Am I moving? Okay, no, maybe I should do some more of that. So Jennifer, you know, over the past couple of months, COVID was really wearing me down. So I went back to working out. And not just working out, taking walks in the woods, (laughs) you know, that's not really getting my heart rate up. Although I do that every day, I take a walk in the woods, but I started doing kettlebell training. And what I found is that I'm not very good at it, but I'm learning. And -hmm. that's one of the pillars in my book, right? You know, I'm learning how to do something new. I am getting my heart rate up. I'm developing my strength and I'm having a little bit of fun. I do kettlebells in the park, socially distanced with my trainer, and it's getting me out of the house. And so I'm going to continue. It's one thing One thing I'm doing, I can continue that in January, even when it's cold. So I don't know. There's well-being. There's learning. You know, we can return to the principles of learning. What's like one thing you want to learn how to do next year? Mm-hmm. something with your horse, right? Doesn't have to be work related.
1: That's every year, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want to perfect your jumps. You want to sit back in
1: your you know, <laughs> your seat a little bit more. <laughs> You've heard me complain over the years. For yeah. years,
0: for years. I mean, we can go do that. You know, there's also risks that we can take. Like what's one scary thing a lot of people always talk about? Skydiving, and you have been skydiving. I know that about you, but mm-hmm. maybe this is the year somebody skydives, right? We get to just like these little fun, silly things. Doesn't have to be everything. Just pick two or
1: three, have at it. You know me, I'm a podcast listener and I've been on the road a lot lately. I was listening to a podcast just a couple of days ago with Blake Mykowski, you know, the founder of TOMS. Interest, interesting guy. Now he's doing a new thing, uh, and it's a company called Made For. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this sounds perfect. It's end of the year. And it's they've done through research. There's 10 areas of life that if you can get them, make progress in those that you'll be, a I don't know, better, happier, human, whatever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, 10 areas of life. And what they do is, it's I guess like a subscription service. They send you- Of course, because they're smart. A, they send you a package. In one month, you focus on hydration. And so it's simple and they have blah, 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 blah. So I'm listening to that and I'm like, I could be a better human if I do this. So last night I remembered, and I'm like, oh, I need to look mm-hmm. up made for online. I'm buying this subscription box. Surely a box with a bottle for your water <laughs> or whatever the one, if they give you one physical tool, Ask one thing- Ask me to do a price is right on this. I want to know. I want to know how much it is, okay. but I want to guess. I personally was thinking like 999, $19.99. What was your no. guess? No, okay. I was going to guess 2799. We are not multi-billionaire entrepreneurs, Laurie, clearly. So I log on to made for, I think it's made for.com or something. You can look it up. This is, this is not a paid endorsement, No, clearly <laughs> which I love not. the idea. It is $970 a year or $97 a month where you get what? A, a box with one physical tool and a pamphlet with the research. And it's 21 days to build a habit like drinking more water. <laughs> Oh my God, this is why people fail. (laughs) Maybe because
0: they don't have $997, but because we make these goals so unappealing. It's just terrible. I'm mad at capitalism. And I like that guy, Blake. I think he's <laughs> oh, just capitalist, but that's offensive. That is just but, not punk rock that's, is
1: what it is. But that's, I think, a perfect book into your book where it really is about betting on yourself and about taking charge of your oh, career. And it doesn't have to cost you $97 a month or $970 if you pay in full. Which again, we're, we're attuned to, we want that. I wanted that quick fix. In 10 months, I will be a better, mm-hmm. more healthy human because I've made these small incremental changes when the reality is it's not that difficult and we can read betting on you and finally take charge of our career.
0: <laughs> Or Jennifer, it's incredibly difficult. We just need to be comfortable and failing. <laughs> I think that's part
1: of it too. I'm going to go get fired at something. I'm, I'm going to do that today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could inspire people to yes. ruin their lives. <laughs>
1: there you go. Well, what do you want to leave us with? Where can we find you? And what is something that you can, on the way out as we're coming in hot into 2021, mm-hmm. what is it that you want to leave us with? Author, best-selling author, Lori Rudiman.
0: Well, I want to leave everybody with this. No woman, no person is an island and nobody ever writes a book alone. And so one of the reasons I was able to do this is because of our friendship, Jennifer, because of your support and your love and encouragement. Everybody needs to go out there and get a BFF and really find somebody who believes in their dreams. And so I wanted to say thank you for all of your love and support. I know there were moments while, I mean, just in general being me, but while writing this book where you're like, oh my God, what is going on with her? I cannot take another... Can't take another text. I can't. <laughs> so I guess I want to apologize, but also say thank you for it. I really appreciate you, and I love you. And you know, people can find me where they find me: Amazon, IndieBound, all the places. Hudson Books. You know, I did my, I did my own audiobook, so you can find me on Audible. But mostly, they can find me wherever you are on your coattails, Jennifer, because you lead me to a better life, and I'm real grateful
1: for it. No, thank you for that. We'll put we'll put everything in the show notes, obviously, because unless you are a uh, current fan of Laurie, you may have difficulty spelling her last name. Um. <laughs> Wait, all they have to Google is "I hate HR," and I come right up. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll show them the path for how they could get there because I am excited. I mean, a lot of my friends have written books already and I'm excited for each and every one of them. But I'm, I am I'm truly, as you said, I've been a little bit on the on the process with you. So I feel a tiny bit like it's my book too. Just tiny.
0: Feel free to take some of the negative criticism that's going to come the way as well as part of yours.
1: <laughs> you have I will that. accept all of the negative criticism, of which I'm sure... Just because, you know, again, the great thing about you is that you have strong ideas and strong ideas because you're out there playing like Michael Jordan on the court. There are people that will disagree with them and that's fine. But there are also people that are going to really take something from this and be inspired and take charge, finally, of their career. That's
0: not even close, but cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to link up to the correct subtitle. That may even be the title of this podcast. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Just remember, you can't tell me what good to great is. (laughs) I cannot pass
0: that test. I don't expect it of other people, but I'm real grateful. Thanks again, Jennifer. All right. Thanks,
1: Glory. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence.